0: We're moving into the second part of a three part series entitled, Spark the Joy. If you're here last week, you know, it's sort of a a, a take on Marie Kondo, who is looking for uh, people that have too much stuff and how you minimize all that you have to manage into a place where you can find joy again. And while that scratches an itch with so many people, I think it is an itch that runs much deeper than just getting rid of a few things and keeping a few things that do spark that joy, to sorting it out at the level of your soul. And I really think that if you can spark joy at that level, all the other things that we have that we have to confront in life, we'll find, uh will find their appropriate place in how we respond to them. Now maybe I could just begin by asking, when you woke up this morning, what was something that crossed your mind that made you anxious, that made you worried, or maybe it was a fear or a what-if question. And perhaps you don't have that, but I, I know I do, and as odd as it sounds, um, uh, it, it varies from day to day. What is epic one day will <clears throat> be, be trivial the next. Um, Last night I went to bed reading up on potential engine malfunctions in the 2014 Plum Crazy Purple Hemi Challenger, and I got anxious about it. And I thought, well, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." As important as it is, it's not anyway important by comparison to the things that the Lord is doing. And so then I thought about the day ahead of us, and I thought, you know, uh, I hope, um, I hope, for example, um, you know, we can. it it won't be so cold that I'll come in and the furnace isn't working and you know these things cross your mind that have to do with how well these environments can be what they need to be as we go through a season of transition with our, our 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 youth leader situation and everything that is involving the volunteers my hope is that the morale of the volunteers will remain strong and the ability for the transition that is happening uh, won't be disruptive for our kids and the things that they gain from their experience down there. So that makes me a little bit anxious. And the list could just go on and on and maybe you get what I mean. And if you do, then perhaps you know that there are things in your life that do cro- do cause a degree of fear and uncertainty and frustration and anxiety. And perhaps they overshadow things so much that you no longer... <clears throat> are capable of sparking much joy in your life because the conditions, well, they're just not there. And maybe all the things I mentioned don't concern you. Perhaps you're very politically oriented and you're thinking on that landscape, it's just disconcerting. And I'm anxious about the future leadership of our country and certainly are good reasons why you should feel that way. Or maybe you just got up and rather than spending a little time in the word, which I'm not saying that uh, that's everybody's routine, but it's a helpful one. Maybe you turned on the television and it told you all the bad things that were going on and immediately a pathway of negati- negativity opened itself up to your world. And all those things just in, it, it, it encompass a wide variety of pathways that describe your life and mine in any given day. And I'm guessing, if you're like me, it's not hard to catalog all the things that are concerns in your life. But those are the very things that actually keep us, I think, from having the joy that God, from the very beginning, intended for you and I to experience. And so the question is, how can I come to church and in the span of, let's say, 30, 35 minutes, hear a message that will change how I look at all of this stuff because it's been going on for so long? Well, the place I want to start with is just prayer. So if you don't mind, I know we prayed a lot this morning, but I want to I take this moment before the Lord. Father, as we look at the joy that is in the life of the believer that you envision us to be, perhaps we look at somebody like the Apostle Paul and we see how he began to learn it despite everything that was going on in his life. Lord, I just pray for each of us here that if there are reasons why we are struggling with joy, that you help us to overcome, that you would help us to see that embedded in the realities of who we are in Christ, as Robin has shared, that there is a deep joy that is beyond anything circumstantial that we will face. Help us, Lord, through the things that we hear in this series, and perhaps today to arrive at that place where we can discover in a new way what's already been there the whole time. And so, Father, I pray that my words would, would, would just be in alignment with your purposes this morning and our hearts would be willing to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as we're going through this series on joy, one thing that jumped out at me was there is a book that was written <clears throat> 2,000 years ago, and it was written by a guy in prison to a group of people that were geographically hundreds of miles away, but he had at one point been responsible for them being established as a church. And as he's writing to this group of people in the shackles of a prison cell with uncertainty hanging over his head, he uses the words joy or rejoicing countless times throughout this very short book to describe I think the characteristics that he hopes comes into play in the lives of the people that he's concerned about. And if you if you if you were just to take this down to our experience here today I think there's a lot that's embedded in the book of Philippians that when we turn to it and we allow the words from the pages of that book to begin to penetrate our souls something can change something can spark and perhaps we can have a different perspective about our life in the Lord and the possibility of joy than when we came in the room. You see, when I look at this guy, the Apostle Paul, the one I described as being in prison, perhaps you were here a few weeks ago and you heard me describe what it was that he was facing. You see, he was in a community telling everyone the good news of the gospel, and as he did, people were responding. There was a vacuum in their lives that they couldn't fill any other way, and when they heard the good news of Jesus and Jesus started to come alive to them, they had a joy. And it was a joy that was so pronounced, it was contagious. And as a result of that, a lot of people started saying, tell us more about this joy and the source of it. And the Apostle Paul, when he was in that town, gathered enough people that it started a church, and then that church started to grow, because the people who were going to that church, well, they were filled with joy. They had something that was a spark of life come alive in their lives, and it was contagious. And there's something about the word of God that is perennial, whether it is a word that Paul spoke in the form of the gospel or the writing that he offered to those people in the form of a letter of encouragement or us receiving it 2,000 and some years later, reading it and finding that it still sparks that same joy. But where I want to begin is in a letter that he wrote in chapter 4, starting with verse 10, I'm actually going to tell you the place that he arrived at so that he could find joy in any circumstance. And I'm going to work backwards into the verses prior to this one. So if you can just bear with me for a few minutes, I want to do this. I want to read these verses, and then I want to help you grow in the process of joy by what we see outlined in the Bible. So here's what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.10. I rejoice. That's that word, joy, only in the form of rejoicing, Greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. He sees in prison, and they don't feed you in the prisons that he goes to. You're dependent upon people outside of, you, outside of the prison to provide your needs, and if that doesn't happen, you die. And there was a church in Philippi, hundreds of miles away, a boat trip through the Mediterranean um, distance that said, let's take up an offering for the Apostle Paul, and let's help him out, and let's encourage him, and Help him mend his morale because he gave us something that, well, we're still filled with joy about. And so he says, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. But as we find out later, uh, they did. I am not saying this because I am in need, notwithstanding the fact I am in prison. I am shackled. I've offended a lot of people. Matter of fact, I've I've offended important people, powerful people. Political leaders, industry leaders, they're all very upset with me. Because on the one hand, there was a, there was a, there's a shrine in our town that I'm being imprisoned in that is dedicated to fertility and production and, 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 and wealth. And it's the shrine of Diana. And people will come from all over the world, the known world at that time, and pay homage to that shrine by giving an offering or by buying an idol that they can take into their home and worship this deity with. And a whole, other, a whole host of other secondary things related to people wanting to curry favor from the goddess Diana, hoping, praying, anxiously, wondering if this goddess is either going to be favorable or if she's going to be upset. And so there's chronic concern about offending the deities in the lives of the people here 2,000 years ago, so much so that they were obsessed about it, and it got into their head a lot. And so they would go to Ephesus, and they would offer sacrifices, and they would attend to the shrine, and they would hope that the outcome would be favor, and the god wouldn't, goddess wouldn't be offended. That is their thinking, okay? And the Apostle Paul came and said, rubbish. Which is a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Because they're like, you're treading in pretty dangerous territory, Paul, when you say that. Give us a reason why you would say that. And he did. And it was a good enough reason that they said, we're letting go of that, and we're moving into Jesus. There's another group of people in this town that are more politically oriented. They're retired civil servants, and they're trying to in the form of propaganda, say that Caesar is both a god and a man. He's a deity, but he's a deified man, and he's powerful, and he's worthy of worship and celebration. And Paul offended that crowd too. So he's in prison because powerful forces are at work to, to shut him down. And at any point, they could just say, we can kill him. There's not going to be the ACLU or attorneys weighing in on it and saying that was wrong. We can do whatever we want. This is what Paul is facing. Now, I don't know where you would be if you had that kind of a death sentence and all of that opposing social energy directed towards you, but I'm guessing if you're like me, you'd be a little anxious that the end is near, that whatever it is that I had experienced in the past doesn't even begin to compare with It's probably going to happen to me pretty soon. And do you know what he's concerned about? He's not really that concerned about it. Matter of fact, he said, I've learned to be content. (laughs) Whatever the circumstances, including these. Now let me ask you. Maybe you are in a season or a moment where you are facing circumstances unlike any you've faced before. And you're saying, I know God's been faithful in the past, but this is different. And the Apostle Paul wants to assure you, with God, it's the same pattern no matter what. And his primary concern is that we get our heart and our mind in the right place so we can deal with it. And so he tells us, I've learned to be content. Now what is it about contentment? You ever found contentment? Or do you wake up every day saying, if only, if only I had this, if only this were in place, if only this were better, if only this opportunity would break my way, if only then my life would be good. And the Apostle Paul said, I learn to stop and to look at what's in front of me and be content and find joy. He presses into the idea. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been there. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, including yours and mine. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And that's where I want to go with this. Because maybe the problem in our lives is that we're too connected to the news, too connected to the what-ifs, too connected to all the signals that we're getting from the outside that says the sky's falling. And we need to disconnect a little bit and reconnect to the Lord. Now, this is where he goes with it. I just want to back up because he's saying this is where I'm at. I'm content. And if you're content, you can find joy. You're not restless. You're not looking over the horizon and saying, if only that would happen, I would be better. I mean, I, I'll just illustrate this firsthand. You know, in the last 14 years I've been here, and the thing that I don't like about northeastern Ohio is everything but January, February, March. You know, clouds, clouds, and more clouds. And if you're like me, I'm a sun junkie. I just can't get enough sun. And when that happens, it's like a death sentence. I just hate it. And, and so when we've traveled, we've traveled with the question, where would we like to retire? And we went to San Diego where I was born, and I've heard the weather's great, but we came away feeling like, I don't think I could live out there. We went to Utah, and, you know, it's a little bit north, and yet has a lot of things going on, but we realized, hey, we're not Mormons. So then we went to Colorado, and we discovered that people... Well, people are flocking into Denver. And we're like, hey, we don't smoke hippie lettuce. So uh, all of a sudden, you think the grass is greener, but it's, I know it's bad. uh, but, but, But you know that for some reason, no matter where you think it is at, it's never there. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, it's right in front of you is actually a a he, if you will, named Jesus. Now, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I know a lot of you are thinking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming into worship and I'm rejoicing in the Lord and it's great and I feel good and truly you do. Or maybe it's, I'm going through a difficult time, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And somebody told me after worship, I'm going into a very toxic family situation. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. I'm singing the song about, you're not going to take my joy away. And, and she said it helped her. But when Paul's saying this, the image that he has in mind is this. The people that were worshiping either the deity, Diana, or wanting to worship the Caesar, were instructed to celebrate Those two deities in the streets, like there would be a party, there would be games for kids, there would be face painting. There would be all the things that you do when you have kind of a celebration and a gathering. There would be singing and all of this stuff. But it would almost be like, you better do this or you're going to offend those deities. So it's kind of like celebrating with a gun to your head. But that was required and expected. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that kind of celebration that you see people doing on the streets for those deities... It's the same form, but a different reason. And it's essentially celebrate the Lord. And I don't know how you celebrate the Lord, except a hundred different ways. And a lot of times it involves just being around other people and doing things in the conversation and in the engagement with the other people that involve the Lord. And it could be praying for them. It could be saying... God has been good. Or it could be saying, you know, these are the blessings that we've had. And it's a way of just acknowledging socially that there's myself and yourself and perhaps this other person. But in reality, there's four people, ourselves and the Lord. And we're celebrating Him. And there's something about that. The Bible even says God inhabits His praises. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, make the celebration of the Lord a thing. This is kind of the foundation for moving out of despair, fear, anxiety, and moving into the reality of joy. And so he's telling everyone, let's just start here. Let's just start by celebrating the Lord. Because everything that is good in your life and mine, if it's not sourced in the Lord, it'll only be good for so long. But if it is sourced in the Lord... It is good for good. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, celebrate the Lord, not because Jesus has put a gun to your head, but because he's given you good reason. And I don't know about you, but maybe the, one of the reasons why you're here is gratitude. Because you've slowed down enough. You've looked at the blessings in your rearview mirror you've looked at the people beside you or in front of you and you said what would life be like if they weren't there and for some people unfortunately they don't ask that question till people are gone other people say it's good it's really good and it's amazing how when you shut put a roadblock on all those pathways into your life of negativity And you open up the pathways to say, I see this, and I see this, and I see this. Interesting thing was, you know, we came back from all these trips and everything, and we're like, there's some good things right in front of us. Now, I admit, January, February, and March, I may just gas up the car and disappear for three months when I'm retired, and then come back because the summers are unbeatable. Christian, who's been all over, that's my son over there, by the way, he's been all over the planet just traipsing around, looking at plants, taking pictures, comparing them, and then I'm thinking, okay, he's going to move to India, or he's going to move to Germany, or he's going to move to the Netherlands, or he's going to move to Kyrgyzstan, or Uzbekistan, or any other stand that is out there. So, a piece of property comes up for sale next door. Christian's like, I'd like to buy that and it's like I've been all over the planet and a lot of things are overrated but the deep meaning that God creates in the world that we tend to ignore and overlook for so long is just found right in front of us and the Apostle Paul said it starts with Jesus and one of the chronic problems that I see is there are a lot of people, and it's especially disconcerting when there are Christians who do not know how to enjoy life. Now, I'm not saying that you should be Pollyannish and trust that everything that I'm ignoring will go away, but it is enjoying life in spite of that. But how do we do that? Well, celebrating Jesus as the Lord encourages and strengthens loyalty and obedience to Him. We trust Him he proves himself faithful in the trial. And oftentimes we have to be patient to see how he works it together for good. But when he does, we trust him again. And then all of a sudden we find there's a relationship that begins to build. And as it does, well, we know that he is a certain, he's a certain thing. He is a sure bet. And so we become loyal to him, and we start to relate to him, and we start to pray to him on a consistent basis, and we start to worship with other people, and we discover that our identity is being changed because of him. And out of that loyalty and obedience that we have just following his way and not following the ways of chaos and disorder that are not his way, there are three conditions that the Apostle Paul says will help you to spark the joy that I have in the contentment that I have no matter where I'm at. I can write a letter about rejoicing in joy in the midst of my potential death sentence because, well, because of him, Jesus. So here's what he says. The first thing that you have to do, listed in verses 6 and 7, is pray, which overcomes anxiety. Anxiety. Verse 6, it just says right there, it's plain as day. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And so he's pivoting away from what we normally do when we hear the bad news and we walk into it and we just say we just need a little glimmer of a reason why I should be hopeful. And we just say, don't care. Obviously, these are concerning things, and we need to walk in them and through them, but the place to start is God, by prayer. Maybe that's where you started and you don't realize it. Maybe some of you are in this room because somewhere along the way, God wasn't a part of your world, and then you started to say, God, if you are out there, Lord, if there is a Lord... Jesus, if you're really real, help me out. And in your lack of understanding of all of those things, God stepped in and he said, I'm here. And you started there with your prayers and then started reading your Bible and pretty soon you find out that there's a whole lot more. And that initial prayer of uncertainty and doubt and and hope all bundled together becomes a more consistent, hopeful trusting practice. And pretty soon, everything that comes your way, you start giving to Him. That thing that you've never had to go through before, you give it to Him. And on the backside of it, you thank Him, like it says right there. And so if you want to spark joy in your life, the conditions have to be right in order for that to happen. And it begins with just connecting with him. In the process, there is a peace which surpasses all understanding. And like a, like a military brigade surrounding your life and your soul, it's like there's a, there's a dome that comes over you. And there's a peace. I don't have words to describe it. All I know is that when I'm celebrating the Lord in my life, when I'm trying to honor him with my choices, when I'm trying to experience worship together with other people and serve with other people and grow with other people, when I'm in that place, stuff will come at me, and if I'm not in that place, I feel like it's just bowling me over. But whenever I have that peace of the Lord, it comes at me, and the Lord says, I'll keep you stable. And we'll get through it. And that's a piece that I can't describe any other way other than it is his presence that begins to move into your life when you start celebrating him in your life. These are the conditions that are necessary to spark joy. And maybe I'm kind of losing you a little bit right now. So perhaps this is one way to illustrate it. Anybody know what a spark plug is? Okay, lots of, some gals, lots of guys. Any guy ever touch a spark plug when it... Yeah, okay, Jerry knows exactly what I'm talking about, don't you, Jerry? Yes, this is why you guys need to keep an eye on him, okay? Um, when, when that happens, are you saying, I can't wait to do that again? No, no, sir. I'd rather just touch the electrical outlet. It's not as bad, is it? But when that spark hits your finger and then it courses its way all the way through your body down to your toes, you're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. There's something about that spark that's powerful. But whenever that spark happened, Jerry, was there an explosion? Just inside your body and your head, right? Yes. No other explosion. But you know, by design, a spark plug is supposed to create an explosion. And I know the women perhaps in this group, and I'm trying to be chauvinist, but you're thinking... Really? Are we going to talk about this for a minute? Well, just bear with me. I want to show a video real quickly, and then- If the spark is too weak, or the timing is not correct, this will cause poor ignition of the mixture, which results in misfires that then lead to loss of power, higher emissions, and increased fuel consumption. To create the spark, a high voltage is supplied by the ignition coil. And as the voltage increases, The air between the electrodes, which is normally insulating, now becomes ionized to conduct electricity. This then allows the high voltage to create a spark across the gap between the two spark plug electrodes. The spark's high temperature then ignites the air-fuel mixture. A flame is created between the electrodes and the growing flame progressively but rapidly ignites the air-fuel mixture in the combustion chamber. All right, well bear with me for one second and I'll tell you why I showed that. Obviously the theme is spark joy, the picture is a spark plug and the spark plug is designed to ignite an explosion or an event that's happening inside of the combustion chamber or happening inside your life. However, you can dump a bunch of gas into that combustion chamber and a bunch of air into that combustion chamber. But if the timing or the conditions are not right, nothing's going to happen. All that gas is just going to go out the exhaust pipe. And you won't have a car that's going anywhere. Now my concern is, when we are bogged down by all the negativity and all of the despair and all the doubt and all the things that overwhelm us on this human plane that we live on those are not conditions if we are just simply looking there those are not the conditions for joy those are the conditions for hopelessness matter of fact it is so hopeless that God had to send his son into this world from the vertical plane and on this horizontal plane he said I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show those people from a source from above how to spark joy under very difficult circumstances and Jesus did exactly that and the apostle Paul enabled that process to happen in believers and my job as a pastor and our job as believers is also to tune into how that can happen in our lives now did you notice for a second i did a horizontal plane and then there's a vertical that's interesting isn't it we have a very visible reminder of the two planes at work and the equation that is our life. And as we're trying to find joy, we have to start by celebrating that. That is the necessary starting place for the right conditions for joy to happen in your life. And the way you begin to make it work is you begin to make it personal through prayer. Prayer. And through trusting that whatever you're facing, God has, he hasn't caused it, but he is allowing you to go through it so that in the process, you'll begin to trust that he is able to not only lead you through it, but to even work it together for good. As weird as that sounds, that's how powerful our God is. But if you're not praying and you're not thanking, the conditions are not optimal for that fire to happen. And so the second thing that Paul says, there's another condition, and it is the patterns of thought which celebrate God's goodness throughout creation. Now, essentially, if you are like me, you have a lot of thoughts go through your head in any given day. And there was a time when the thoughts were kind of negative and even self-condemning, there's a time when those thoughts were hopeless or fatalistic, thinking that, well, you know, what's the use or what's the point? And you get into that place where that script that's going through your head, you get stuck in that mode, and all it does is just feed more of that dark stuff. God understands that. And God has rescued us from that and he loves us where we are at but he doesn't want to keep us there especially where I just described. Where he wants to bring you to is a place where when you look at the world around you you see things through a new lens. You see things as you see where the truth is and where the lies are. You see what is honorable and what isn't, what isn't, what isn't so commendable. You see what is just and fair. You see what is pure. Now, let's stop for a minute. What would happen if on the news, just you went home, you turn on CNN, or if you're a Fox person, you turn on Fox, and all of a sudden the newscaster gets on there and says, "And today we're going to talk about some things that are true." Of course, that would be that would be a first. But secondly, we're going to talk about things that are honorable rather than the despicable and dishonorable cadre of people we want to parade in front of you. We're we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about the honorable things that are happening around us. We're going to talk about what is just, you know, when people do something that is fair or they go the extra mile and they help somebody who is um, lesser enabled, powerless, perhaps just showing something that is in the form of generosity and love. Whatever is pure. We're gonna talk to you today in this news report about pure things. Whatever's lovely. We're gonna celebrate the beautiful things that are all around us. Whatever is commendable. We're gonna look at, in this news story, an activity that is involving a numerous people pulling together for a good purpose And we're going to make that the bulk of our news hour. Or excellence. That is things that are just put together in the right way. Ordered for a purpose in Christ. Anything worthy of praise. Can you imagine what would happen to CNN and Fox News if they did that? Here's what I think would happen honestly. I think people would turn it off. I really do because people aren't interested in it, that's boring. We don't want that. We want something salacious. How do I know this? I lived in St. Louis for four years. And I'd get so frustrated, I'd get out on the highway and it would grind to a halt. And I'd be like, wow, there must have been like a semi-tractor trailer rig turned over on its side in our lane. And an hour later, I get to see the cause of it and it's not even on our side of the highway. There's a divider in between, it's on the other side and two cars banged into each other. And you're like, what is it about human nature that finds a car accident so irresistible? You know, there's something inside of us that is a little bent. And we are drawn into this stuff, aren't we? That is the only reason why the news feeds it to us is because we have an insatiable appetite dark things unless unless we start celebrating Jesus in our lives and that appetite starts to kind of go away matter of fact we start to see things totally different and celebrate things and celebrate people and the good things of life And the little victories along the way and just the bundle of blessings that are embedded in the everyday. That we're like, yeah, I know that's there, but I finally had that. We have been socially conditioned to want more and buy more. We have been socially engineered to be discontent. But when you celebrate Jesus, you start to see the lie. And you start to see the joy, and you start to realize God is in control. I wish I could just bring up every news story that's happened in the course of my lifetime, and how many of them said, "Well, by this date the sky's going to fall. By this date we're all going to be pummeled with nuclear weapons. By this date the we're, we're going to be flooded. By this date we're going to be frozen. By this date we're going to be baked to death." On and on and on, and I'm like, "Still here." What is today? Important that I know because I had an anniversary the other day and it was on the Tuesday. So, um, you know, it's important to know where your place is on the timeline. But God is saying to us, you need to step out of the lies and step into what is true. And if you do, you're creating the conditions for joy. Here's the last thing that he said, and I think you need, it's worthy of writing down because it's all just right there. He said the practice, the prayer, the patterns of thought, and the practices of life which embody the gospel. What does that mean? I think it's this. Now, if you come into a church and everybody's sour and everybody's bitter and everybody's angry and nobody's nice and people aren't hospitable, What on earth would make you want to come back? But if you come into a church, and hopefully it's healthy enough that people are starting to tune in to the joy that they have in the Lord and the contentment that we have in the Lord, then I think you might say, this is different. Is it real? And is it good? And the best way that people know whether or not the church is the real deal isn't by me telling you the Bible's true and that settles it, and so you need to worship him. It's really a lot on the shoulders of people that have been coming here for a while showing that there is a different way of life, a way of life to be celebrated that centers on Jesus. And a lot of you have taken it a step further because you've gone through your Apostle Paul moment in prison, whatever anxiety that could potentially produce. And you're on the other side of it now. And now there are people coming behind you who are going through the same thing and you're in the privileged position of going into their world and saying, I've been there. And the reason I'm here is because of Jesus. And my life is a celebration of what he has done and what he can do for you. So he says, you, what you have learned and received He's not just talking about you've got the information down, you've memorized it. No, he's talking about a kind of knowledge that comes through the process of struggling, of praying, of having to think the right thoughts so that you can get through it and finding the source of those right thoughts so that you can keep from going crazy. And then one day you wake up and you're like, I've been doing this for a while and I'm different. There's reasons to be sad, but I got joy. I really have joy. And I'm practicing these things because in the midst of all the chaos, there's a peace. And it's not from me, it's from God. These, my friends, are the conditions for the spark to create the necessary fire of joy in your life. And you can try to avoid the steps. You can try to sidestep them. You can feel like I don't really want to pray. That's too hard. I don't really want to think good thoughts. That's too hard. I don't really want to begin to show the joy of the Lord through the struggle that I've had. That's too hard. Or is it? I don't think it's that hard. I think our biggest problem is We've just been listening to a lot of the wrong voices and not the word of the Lord. The reason why I did the outline the way I did is because I just wanted to show you that it's not just me making it up. It's all right there. It's all right there for the Lord to use in your life. So here's how I want to end this, just simply this way. This is how the joy of the Lord becomes a source of our strength through the things that he's mentioned in verses four through nine, it's just all right there. The question is, are you willing to not only embrace it, but are you willing to begin to move into it? And the thing that I would like to say is, those who have will tell you that when they did, it changed everything including how they look at what's right in front of them. The place to start, of course, is Jesus. And I hope that he's in every one of your lives. But if he is not, or you need to kind of reorient and come close, we want to help you with that. You can come and see me after the worship gathering or go to the studio or put on the connect card. Whatever the case may be, we want to make sure that that connection happens first. Because the joy, like we're talking about today, will not happen without him. And then maybe you just need some help along the way. How to pray, how to think, how to think, and how to practice. And that's really all we do here, week in and week out, is work on that. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just bookend this celebration of your son as The spotlight of his life has been shined on the word and the enabling that we see through those who have gone before us like Paul. I pray that a deep contentment would begin to flow into the lives of those here who feel that churning and that restlessness and that it would start with you. I pray that our daily connection with you through prayer would begin to incorporate everything that we wake up to in the morning that weighs on us and that we would trust you to lead us into it and through it. I pray, Father, that you help us to replace all of the thoughts that are not characteristic of the thoughts that have just been described so that our mental health will be what you have called it to be. And I pray, Father, finally, that you help us to embody these things in such a way that in time, as weird as it sounds for some of us, others who are struggling and hopeless will look at us and say, where, where do you get that joy from? And Lord, this is my prayer that that would happen in increasing measure in each of our lives, and myself included, as we trust you and celebrate you. May the worship that we're getting ready to do be an expression of, of that first step of moving into that space of celebrating your presence all the time. Thank you, Lord, as we trust you to help us in these things. Amen.